Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Higher Branch, where I hand over the hosting mic to fitness expert Logan Thorpe, who this time interviews me about what it takes to truly live a fulfilling life. You know, we discuss the eight areas of life that is the framework for a higher branch and zone in on the basic human urge of needing to belong. And I also share tips on living in each of the eight areas. And I reveal my very unique technique for journaling, which I think has been the absolute blueprint for me to manage my life and business strategies. But look, before I hand over the mic to Logan Thorpe, I also want to share an insight into what a lot of us are going through or thinking about at the moment. We, we go through life... Um, you know, when we are first in primary school, then secondary school, then university, and even when we start working, you know, we have this sense that, you know, someone has our back, that the leaders of this world, whether they are church leaders, industry leaders, government leaders, uh, you know, uh, have, you know, everything under control. And we gain a lot of strength and we gain a lot of security from knowing that. And it's an incredible assumption to to have when you're living your life, to think that, you know what, someone's got this and I can focus on my thing. But at the moment, we are going through a period where we feel like no one really is in charge. You know, we have government leaders uh, across, you know, big powerful nations at loggerheads. You know, we have this COVID-19 virus that has shaken the foundations of uh, our security, our sense of security. But amidst all this uncertainty and this loss of focus or this feeling that we are on shaky ground, I want you to know and remember that you have one thing that you can control, and that is self-leadership. Self-leadership is about controlling what you can control and completely surrendering to the outcome and not really trying to control things at the macro level that are just totally outside of our control. You know, what is happening with government policy, what, ha- what is happening with health, what is happening, you know, with um, world stability. Those things we just can't control. Nobody on this earth can. So I want you to know that and focus on the things that you can control. And that is how much sleep you get, what you eat, you know, how you love, how you parent, how you work, you know, how you, you show charity towards others. It's, it's in those eight beautiful areas of our life that is a framework at a high branch that you need to reflect on and go back to because they're the things that you can control in your life. So, look, on that note, I'll um, sit back and enjoy this beautiful podcast that I recorded with Logan Thorpe, who attended our Upgrade Your Life 2020 and was kind enough to invite me on his podcast. But I enjoyed it so much that, and I thought that a lot of uh, the people in our community would get a lot out of it. Okay, enjoy, and that's bye for me for now. Thank you. Sam, thanks for jumping on. Yeah, it's a pleasure, um, Logan. So um, we, uh, we met at Upgrade Your Life, didn't we? Yeah, 100%. So uh, I kind of tossed that up. Um, for a fair while, me and my wife went. It was good to get away without the kids. Um, 
and yeah, like it was something that when I seen, I was like, geez, I want to do that. But the possibility of, you know, getting to Sydney two days away without the kids and just seemed a little bit too hard, but we made it yeah. happen and was well worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was worth it too from my, my point of view because, you know, as you organise, you never really know how it goes. So I was uh, yeah, pleasantly surprised, uh, just the magic in the room, the, the mix of people and the, how the speakers just warm to everyone in the room and yeah it was it was quite a unique energy i i was uh really really happy with how it went because you never know you can try and you know force people together and force a party but you never really know how it's going to go on the day and uh just uh to see the speakers interact with everyone in a raw and fluid manner it just was really good yeah like David Goggins was definitely the draw card for me. I'd listened to his book and followed his stuff for a while. Um, but yeah. to be honest, it was your stuff that kind of really hit home to me the most. Um, and like Jim Quick as well, like I'd kind of seen a little bit of his work, but now listening to his podcast, like he's just truly incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, two of my favourite people on the planet, uh, Jim and David. And you know what? For me, uh, anyone that's authentic and makes an impact on my life, adds value in a small way or a big way, it doesn't matter, is uh, always on my, you know, you know, top people in the world to be around with. So it's nice to surround yourself with, with uh, people who are positive and who have a, a message or have information uh, that they share freely and generously, and they both did that, didn't they? But thank you very much for, you know, saying that you like my material as well. I honestly did not know... You know, the night before, I did not know what I was going to say on that stage because my job was really just to introduce everyone. Yeah, for sure. And uh, like after you spoke, I bought you two books and A Higher Branch is probably, if not the best book I've ever read. It's been the top five, like probably just what I needed at the right time, but I really um, enjoyed the read. And um, it's funny, one of my coaches hit me up for what book they should read the other day and I'd give her that one. <laughs> Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you very much. I wrote that book for my for my three children. So my lens was very personal. And then, uh, yeah, I started sharing it slowly with some friends and colleagues. And then I, I got the courage then to actually publish it. Because uh, I, you know, I'm not a I'm not an author. Um, but uh, so it's always you have to overcome a lot of self doubt and fear. And uh, yeah, I'm glad I did now because uh, it has you know, has resonated with a lot of people and uh, reinforced to me that what I'm giving to my kids, you know, when I pass is a legacy that hopefully they'll carry on because I, I really love the blueprint that is in that book. I actually wrote the book many, many years ago in 1997. It was two years after I launched my own business. And, and then I shelved the book. Back then, I didn't write it as a fable. I, I shelved it and wrote it uh, as, a, as a work of nonfiction. Uh, so it was very prescriptive and, uh, you know, like structured like you would following a program or something like that. Uh, you know, do this, do that, uh, habits, life hacks, uh, this is how to journal, et cetera, et cetera. And then, and then when I went, after the global financial crisis, you know, we went from like a, over 100 staff down to eight staff. We were almost decimated. And then I took six months off work uh, to release the book. And I went to a few publishers and a lot of them said to me, oh, the stuff you write about has been written about since 1997 
And, you know, they gave me books by Tony Robbins and a few others. And I read their books and I thought, yeah, it's, it's incredible how, you know, so many people get the same ideas at different, different times and different geographical locations, but uh, they release the same message. So I went back and wrote the book as a fable rather than as a work of nonfiction. So I'm, I'm really happy that it, you liked it. It's uh, certainly a book that I go back to as well every now and then. <laughs> yeah, I think it's something that we always need to revisit, isn't it? Like, um, well, we might as well go into it now, like your framework, your eight trees. Um, what it kind of does is you need to be fulfilling all areas of the eight trees to, um, I guess, live a healthy life. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We all have a life force. You know, everything on the planet has a life force, whether it's a running stream, whether, you know, it's a blueberry bush or you know, a broccoli plant or, uh, you know, a grevillea. It all has a life force. Now, humans, you know, our life force comes, uh, is quite unique. In, uh, it doesn't just come from the food we eat, the sunshine we take in. We have emotional, mental, spiritual and physical needs. Now, most, most of us in the West, we tend to focus on the physical. Whenever we have, we go through a period of, you know, disease or dysfunction or even depression, we tend to look for diet and exercise thinking it's going to be the panacea to all our ills when, in fact, it's below the surface what's going on in our lives at the emotional, mental level. This is what separates us from everything else on the planet. Um, so where do we get our life force from? You know, sure, it's from sunshine. It's from air, it's from water, but we also get it from love. We also get it from family. We also get it from work. We also get it from friendship. We also get it from learning, you know, from wealth and from charity. And of course, I'm cycling through, you know, the uh, eight elements uh, that I talk about in a higher branch. So from my own learnings over, you know, many decades, you know, I crafted that framework because it fulfills every human need and my experience is that every time i've met a person and every time i myself as a person have neglected any one of those elements i've impacted my life force my life force has diminished by that one if i've neglected two then my life force you know diminished by two uh, and i know some people that have neglected so many elements of those eight areas that they suffer from chronic fatigue or a lack of direction or this feeling that I have no purpose. I have, you know, I feel lost. And uh, rather than, you know, signing up to gym memberships and undertaking the latest vegan program or paleo or whatever it is, all we need to do is just fill our lives with activities in each one of these eight areas. Um, and the way I do that is through journaling. And we can talk about that a little later. Um, but I hope that, sort of gave you an idea of, um, you know, what those eight areas of life are. And underneath each area, there is the element that I talk about. So underneath the tree of love is the element of intimacy and the need. We have a fundamental human need for uh, love and intimacy, a physical and emotional affection. And if we don't get that, then we diminish our life force. It's like if you see the model that I have you know, on a higher branch website, you'll see that, you know, the seven circles around the middle circle, which is the circle of health. And if you've read the book, A Higher Branch, you, 
uh, you would know that I use a metaphor, the eight trees of life. Tree of health is in the middle. The tree of health represents you. It's you as the person. I mean, uh, I called it the tree of health because it was so easy for people to understand, but it's really, it represents our life. It's our living, breathing life. And it is the four sub-elements of physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. But just to go back to um, the love, I mentioned intimacy. Family is for unconditional love and support. Because when you have the unconditional love and support of your family, and when you give unconditional love and support to your each member of your family, that sends some message to them, a primal message that, hey, I've, I've got this. Whether I succeed or fail, whether I fall over or win or lose, whatever, my family is like the, you know, has my heart like a safety net. Uh, so I will open that business. I will start that exercise routine. You know, I will make that new friendship. I will stick my neck out in life. And knowing that I have, you know, my family who will love me no matter what, that is a very, very powerful, that stimulates a very powerful element within us. It signals, it sends a signal, you know, to, um, to our brain to be fearless. So that I list, I list these areas in order of priority and, before I get, get into the next element of the tree of work, one of the questions I ask people uh, whenever I'm uh, coaching them in the first session, I put the eight areas of life on the board and I say, can you rank these in a particular order? And, you know, they'll rank them in a particular way that, you know, means most to them. And, uh, but of course, it's a trick question because a lot of them will say, well, Sam, I don't have enough time in the day to devote my energy, my time, my attention to these eight areas. I, I just, you know, I, I just can't. What you're asking me to do is impossible. And of course, I go on and teach them a, a few techniques. One of them is a life blending technique that we can talk more about later. But it's a trick question because you shouldn't never prioritize. These areas of your life have equal weight. But if you are in a position where you have brain fog, you have dips in energy. You're still a little bit lost as to like you have a, a demanding job where you have 80% of your time is going at work and you've got these competing pressures where you have to, where you have to prioritize. Then yes, what I'm going through now is what the priority is for me. If you ask me, Sam, if you, your energy plummeted and you just couldn't spend time in all these eight areas, which one would you prioritize? And I'd go health first, love second, family third, fourth is work, fifth is friendship, sixth is learning, seventh is wealth, and eighth is charity. And, but the optimal to operate at what athletes call peak performance, you really, uh, if you're operating at peak performance, then you can spend time, energy, and attention in each of those eight areas. And when you do, an incredible thing happens. It's like you hit this state of flow and state of energy that, you know, is just unbounded. You can really, I, I've experienced that because I live by that framework. I've experienced it because I'll, I'll be sitting in a meeting or in a um, operations session and someone who's 20 years younger than I am might take 30 minutes to do a task and it'll take me like six to eight minutes. It's because I'm in a state of flow when you're in that state, you can get more done in less time. This is what the athletes call peak performance, which means then it frees you up to devote time and attention 
and uh, energy to all the eight areas of life. So I, I don't go through a day without where I neglect one of those areas. And, and if I have, and it's been a while, I pick it up in my uh, journal straight away. I can see that my journaling technique, and I, I don't know whether you've seen it, just, it just, it just pops out. It says, Sam, you have not spent enough time in the tree of love this week. You haven't done this, 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 and this, you know, with your partner. And um, uh, so that's why I said it's a trick question, you know. You should devote your time and attention to all those areas if you want to hit peak performance. If you want to live the life that you you deserve, right? Like all of us deserve. I know it sounds like a cliche, but we all have a life that we deserve to live. And every day we don't live it is just a tragedy, absolute tragedy. In effect, like I, I wrote that book, I became a lawyer because I hated injustice in my younger years. But then, you know, I, I took a right-hand turn. I became a banking and finance lawyer because I saw that the biggest injustice, you know, when I say injustice, I did criminal law, I did family law, I did civil litigation, commercial litigation. But then, you know what? I saw that, that people should handle their own you know, um, uh, they've got to take a better look at, you know, how they approach conflict and resolve it in a, uh, you know, in a more conciliatory way. So then I decided, hey, this isn't for me. I want to just become a corporate lawyer. But then after a while, I realized that the biggest injustice is the injustice that people deal themselves, not what's dealt on us. It's, it's what, you know, you've got to take responsibility for the injustice you deal yourself. Are you respecting your health? You know, are you respecting your relationships? Are you living in constant state of gratitude? Um, what is going on through your heart and mind? And if you're not focused on it consciously, holistically, daily, then you, you are lost. And I, I say that with the utmost of respect because I've been there. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's important. I think that's what makes it relatable is that you've been there. Yeah, absolutely. That's like me as a PT. I've um, I've been twenty kilos heavier than I am now, so I've been there. So I'm more relatable to my clients. Um, one thing with that circle that really kind of hit home with me is, you know, I run my own business, very busy with that, and I've got two kids um, that are under three. Um, and I'd kind of got to the stage when I was at um, the event in January that I was kind of like, I just don't have time for friendship. Like that was a big one when I seen that on the list. Like, well, you need to make time for that because it is like an, an important area. Absolutely. So uh, friendship, and this is why I say you can't neglect uh, any of these areas. And you shouldn't, be, you shouldn't put yourself in a position where you have to prioritize and say, well, look, I've spent 80% of my day on work and wealth. And, you know, I don't have time for friends, don't have time to read books to my kids, don't have time to play with my kids, don't have time to re- read a book with my partner or, you know, have a bath together or give each other a massage or, you know, doing all those intimate things that really connect couples. And let's call it out, you know, let's not be afraid to talk about those uh, things. And a lot of people I know do, they neglect those things. Now, friendship is one, you know, most people neglect. And it is apparent because you'll notice, especially in my tribe, I don't know what it's like with the PT tribe, but in my tribe, I've noticed how people have lost the ability to have fun, like completely lost it. They, They are... They, they light up when they talk about their work, but get them to be actually socially um, comfortable and socially interesting and have wit and charm. These are, these are characteristics that 
you know, humans valued, if you ever read Jane Austen's work, you know, these, and, and we should return and value the art of friendship and how to, uh, how to um, nurture a friendship, how to develop a friendship. And um, why is that important? Because if you disconnect your life force to that area, to that fundamental human need for belonging, so friendship represents belonging. And I don't know whether you, you remember what I said at the event is that, uh, and this is something Dr. Guy Winch has shared with me, saying that there is research showing that when we are isolated, in other words, we, we don't have friends, we don't hang out with friends, the brain sends a message to the cells to die. And because our bodies associate isolation, social isolation with death. Because what happened thousands of years ago, you know, when we're living in tribes, if you were banished from the tribe, you didn't survive, right? Because as a tribe, everyone performed a task which helped everyone live. Some people hunted, some people cooked, some people lit the fire, some people built the homes. And that's how humanity evolved. Uh, we didn't evolve, you know, um, on our own. Uh, so friendship is a critical. And, you know, the eight areas of life, you'll notice there's a symbiotic relationship between all of them. For example, the tree of learning. If you ask me, well, what are you learning? I'm, I'm reading books about each one of the other areas of life, not just work. You know, I'm reading books on AI and robotics at work, but I'm also reading books on how to become a better partner, a better father. You know, I have a teenage daughter. No one's ever taught me how to you know, be a father to a teenage daughter, so I'm reading a book on it. The same with friendship. So, you know, friendship, there's a symbiotic relationship between friendship and the other areas of life because your friends should come in all those areas, right? Your number one friend has got to be yourself. Your number two is your family, uh, your partner rather. Number three is your kids and your extended family. And then you should have friends from your working years as well, from the tree of work. You should have friends from the tree of uh, uh, learning, you know, from your university uh, years. So there is a, definitely a symbiotic relationship between all those eight areas of our life. And um, that's, especially when it comes to wealth, a lot of people say, oh, it's interesting. You have wealth in there as one of the elements, as one of the trees of life. Uh, and I say, well, yeah, because wealth fills a fundamental human need for freedom. But freedom doesn't come from having dollars in the bank. You need to define what your wealth is first. And money is important, definitely. But I think people overestimate how much money you need to be wealthy. And there, therein lies the, you know, the real question. Um, if you define your wealth first, then you can figure out exactly what you need to focus your time, energy, um, you know, and attention uh, on. So that's why I define my wealth from the other areas and that's why i'm saying it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship between all, all eight areas so if you ask me sam what makes you wealthy i'll say i have my health i can taste food i can run i can i have energy throughout the day i can see i can hear we often take our five senses for granted until they're gone you know or our ability to walk or you know um so i take you know my health is my wealth to use the cliche the relationship i have with my wife that's that's a not negotiable for me. You can take away all my money in the world, right? And uh, I would not compromise that. The relationship I have with my kids, tree of family, the ability to do work that fulfills me, that is my wealth. 
um, the friends that I have, what they bring into my life. How do you put a price, you know, on the, how do you put a price on the joy that your friends bring you, you know, whether you're at the footy, you know, having a pie and watching your, your favorite team go around or fishing together or working out together or having a barbecue together. How do you put a price on that? You know, you just can't. And it's sad, especially in my tribe, one of the reasons why I started a higher branch because I saw a lot of people, lawyers, bankers, who became ultra successful money-wise, but they just didn't have a life. And it was really, it was, it was sad to see. Uh, it was a caution. You know, a lot of people have become a cautionary tale in, uh, in my tribe. Uh, your tribe is incredible, actually. They're my inspiration because PTs, uh, you know, they've got, the, they've got their stuff worked out. They're always, they're always searching and they're always um, making sure they live a balanced life. They usually eat well, they exercise. You guys are always moving throughout the day. Yeah, 100%. And the other thing that um, I really like that you said with the um, tree of charity, charity doesn't mean that you've got to give money to, you know, a charity or it doesn't even have to involve money. It can be just as simple as doing something for someone else. Absolutely. Well, in fact, your work, your work can be your biggest contribution. So charity represents the fundamental human need to make a contribution. And you'll notice that a lot of, you know, billionaire celebrities end up doing a lot of charity work. You have, you know, Angelina Jolly has gone over to Syria and she's like, and you think, why is she doing that? Right? Because that's where her, how she defines her wealth in making a contribution some for some people that is a really strong human need and i mean the the other the other thing is that you can't focus on any one of those eight areas right this is exactly my my point here like angelina jolie really neglected seven other elements and focused so relentlessly on contribution that then her family fell apart and she got divorced from her husband and that's why my message is okay, I know you love your work. I know you love your charity or I know love you, you love your exercise and working out, but you're not going to be successful in that area if you neglect the others. If you want to be successful at work, then don't spend all your time at work. And that's certainly been my experience. I'm not telling you anything that I've just read in a book. This is stuff that I lived and breathed. And the most success that I've enjoyed when I've actually got my act together and I have I've uh, dedicated my attention, my energy, my time to all eight areas. And a beautiful thing happens. My work performance increases. And because there's this invisible force that connects humans. And if you've got all eight areas of your life really humming nicely and worked out, then when you are at work, your energy is positive. Your energy is attractive. It pulls people into you. So you attract clients. You attract better employees. Uh, you attract uh, the right stakeholders, the right suppliers. And you start thinking, geez, like things are just happening beautifully for me. Is it luck? It's not luck. No, it's you've put yourself in a position where your energy is so beautiful that a, a client meeting, uh, which might otherwise take you two hours to build rapport and win their trust to give you their brief, might take you half an hour because they're just sitting there thinking, I don't know why I like Logan, but I, I just want to sign up with him. And suddenly you'll start finding that you'll get a lot more done at work in less time and that will help you then have more time to the other areas of life. Um, the other thing I try and do is a technique called life blending. And the only way to do this technique is to be authentic. 
In other words, be the same person you are at work, with your partner, with your kids, with your friends. You know, if you have the same face for everyone and you are who you are, right, and you notice even prickly people are loved because they're just authentic. You say, well, you know, like, I just love this guy. Look, look at David Goggins, right? Why do people love him? He's authentic. I know people that hate curse words. They love him. And he curses the most on the planet. Why? Because he's just, mate, this is who I am. Love me or leave me, right? It's who I am. So when you're authentic, then you're able to do some life blending. And this is what life blending looks like for me. So at one o'clock, I'm going to do a workout from someone in the office. Okay. So I'm climbing the tree of health. I'm climbing the tree of work. And I'm climbing the tree of friendship. Three things in one go. So I've made friends with people in the office. And whilst we're working out, we're often brainstorming about work. We come up with our best ideas when we're at work because as a PT, you would know anyone that works out is sharper, faster, smarter than anyone else. And I quickly figured that out when I was hiring, you know, young lawyers. Often the ones who were the most successful were not the ones with the best marks. It was the ones that are the fittest, healthiest. And that's why I love, you know, uh, working out and exercise. That's why I think, you know, what PTs do is an absolute essential service. And I just can't believe that the government shut down, you know, uh, gyms. Well, they did allow working out in the, in the park, but uh, I, I consider that an essential service, what you guys do. You know, it's as essential as the first responders, as doctors, because it's preventative. And it's, it's really, it's about time that society started seeing preventative measures just as equally as, you know, people who cure things. I'd rather prevent things by seeing a PT. And, you know, movement is medicine, right? <laughs> 100%. And yeah. like, while we're on that, like how, in your opinion, how important is enjoying your work? Well, yeah, getting back to that, making a sense of contribution at work. Um, when, you, when you blend your life, uh, like I just mentioned, then that allows you to uh, get more done. And there is a difference between, you know, doing what you love and loving what you do, right? So over the last, you know, 10 or 20 years, you know, uh, actually the first person I ever heard say that was Donald Trump many years ago where he said, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life or something to that effect. And there's been... <laughs> So many, uh, I know it was a terrible attempt at a, <laughs> uh, mimicking him, but, and there's been so many motivational gurus over the, over the years who say, oh, you got to do what you love. You got to do what you love because if you do what you love, you'll enjoy it. And I, I take a different approach. We cannot all do what we love and what we think we love has been influenced, influenced by media influenced by our friends, influenced by our parents. And so for, for some people, if you have a popular show on television, for example, that's glorifying being a lawyer or glorifying being a personal trainer, suddenly you think, I love that. This is, I'm going to do what I love. And it's really not honoring your uniqueness. And we can't always do what we love. We all can't be a David Goggins. We all can't be a Tom Ford designer or a Beyonce you know, or a Steve Jobs. And that's why I'm not into hero worship and, you know, idolizing someone and saying, I want to do that because if I do that, I'll be doing what I love. I think that's a trap for your happiness, which explains why a lot of millennials are walking around 
with this notion of unhappiness because they've been told by their parents, oh, you must do what you love. And they, they leave school, they leave university, and I think, I can't do what I love because it's fucking impossible. Sorry for swearing. No, that's fine. You know, like, it's, I, can't do, I can't do that. It's like the barrier to entry is so difficult. And I've been sold this dream that I must pursue what I love. Well, when you choose to love what you do, that is the ultimate freedom. That is the ultimate control. And that is the ultimate sense of contribution. Here's how you love what you do. And uh, it's in three steps. And this is something that I've taught my uh, team here at MSA National, where I'm sitting here today. Because after the global financial crisis, I witnessed that a lot of our employees were scared to lose their jobs, right? So we had to let go of a lot of people during the global financial crisis. I mean, it was a lot worse than what we're going through now with COVID-19 restrictions. And um, so a lot of the people that remained in our employ started operating out of fear. Now, I don't know whether you've ever played cricket. Once you start batting defensively on the back foot, LBW or bowled out, right? So my team started backing on, batting on the back foot and they started operating out of fear rather than out of love or passion or, you know, the, the passion to achieve something to the best of their ability or to make a contribution. So then they started becoming really bad at their job. <laughs> now... And then we started going backwards as an organization. So I literally sat down and had one-on-one sessions with each one of my team members. And I had this um, confrontational approach to it because I thought, well, if you don't want to be here, then go somewhere else because I honor the privilege of serving customers. My clients are the banks, but their their customers are also my customers. So we do transactional uh, uh, work for the bank. So if you borrow money from one of the major lenders, you, uh, chances are we would have done a documentation settlement funding for you. So I, I met with everyone. I said, you know what? I'm only going to have someone in my uh, uh, working if they really want to be here. And yet, to my surprise, uh, at the time, we had, it was about 20 people because we hit rock bottom and then bounced back to around 20 people for a little while. And I met with every one of them not one person that I asked this question answered it uh, uh, was what I wanted to hear. And I asked them this question. I said, is this what you really wanted to do in life? And every one of them said, no. I had people that wanted to become a personal trainer. I had one who wanted to become a personal trainer. I had a law degree. I had one who wanted to uh, become an actor. And um, he's working because he had a law degree and he couldn't get a job as an actor, right? And uh, so just about every person said, well, no, that wasn't my dream. My dream was to do something different. And I thought, well, clearly you can't, you're not going to have any staff if your criteria, selection criteria is, is this your dream job? You won't, you just won't, right? Uh, So, I mean, when I was younger, my dream job was I wanted to become a racing car driver. And then I wanted to become a musician at one stage. I was a musician for many years when I was going through law school. And, um, but then I, I realized, I said, Sam, why are you here? So if you have a gym, uh, Logan, and you asked me to come and work in your your gym and you said, Sam, it's really important for us to keep the floor clean. You wouldn't believe how great a job I would do for you because my lens is I'm not doing what I love. I'm loving what I do. And the way I got my people to start loving what they do 
And almost all of them are still here with me now, with the exception of a couple who went on maternity leave, had more than two kids and became full-time mums. And the three steps to loving what you do is this. First of all, is become really good at what you do. And if you're listening now, please pay attention to this because, you know, I've coached some people who have bounced back out of anxiety and depression just from, you know, making this mental shift when it comes to, to work. Number one, you don't have to do what you love. Number one is to actually be really good at what you do. Now, in psychology, uh, I have a degree in psychology, but I never practice psychology. But in psychology, there's this human automatic response that we have. When we are really good at something, we tend to love it. We tend to just love it even more, right? Because competence builds confidence. So I embarked on a training program for my team where I started, I wanted them to be the best at their job. And I said, I want you to become masters at banking and finance. So what I found is the more competence they build, the more they started to love their job. So if you're listening now, I don't care what job it is that you're doing. If you become better at it, you know, than you did before. And if you approach it with the mindset of, I'm going to be better than this and anyone, right? And competition's fine. It's healthy. It's not disrespectful, okay? It's what drives people. We have that, you know, mechanism. I promise you, you will, that'll be your first step in starting to love what you do, no matter what it is that you do and how mundane you think it is. The second thing that I started to get people, my people focused on is, and, uh, and I know we're talking about the tree of work here, and, uh, and I'm, I'm going on a little bit about this, but I think it's an important uh, point that you raise, and I really want to address this thoroughly. The second thing that I did with my team that you should do is focus on making a difference. In other words, look to the tree of charity and let your work be your contribution. We must value your work should not be seen as a selfish pursuit for you to do what you love. If you love what you do, the quickest way to fulfillment is to connect the dots between what you do and how it helps humanity, how it helps your customer, how it helps your clients. I promise you, if you become really good at your job and number two, focus on how your job is making a difference to the people that you serve. As I said, working is a privilege and an honor to serve others. If you approach it with that lens, then that's your second step in starting to love what you do. And loving what you do is much more powerful than doing what you love. There are so many celebrities that overdose and uh, go off the deep end because they're doing, and they're doing what they love. Why? Right? Because they're not focusing on loving what they do. And so the first two is um, be really good at your job. So keep learning, training yourself, become the best at that particular role. Number two, focus on the people that you serve. If you ask my team pre-global financial crisis, what do you guys do at MSA National? They say, oh, we process home loans, we do legal documentation, they sign it, we fund it. Now, if you ask them that same question, they say, we put a newly married couple in their first home. And it's exciting time, but it's also a very anxious time for them. We refinance we help the refinance of home loans to a uh, a family that's upgrading from an apartment to a house because they've just had their second child or we uh, help uh, settle refinances for the family that's 
consolidating all their debts, all their credit cards, all their personal loans, all their home loans into one to improve their cash flow because that's cash flow that they can now use for better quality food or better quality education. That's their lens now. Now they're making a contribution and they're really good at what they do. And that's the second step to loving what you do. The third and final step, and it is, and it is one that Southwest Airlines does so well in America. And I heard the CEO say this many years ago. And he said that your staff will never do anything good unless they're having fun doing it. So the third element uh, to loving what you do is to have fun. And how do you have fun at work? And I don't mean frivolous fun at the expense of productivity where you don't get stuff done. You know, I mean fun by celebrating your achievements. You know, if, you, if you've won something, even little things, you know, get together and, you know, if you win a new client, pop some champagne, go out and celebrate together. Um, we, there's a, you know, we have one person internally here who focuses on having fun throughout the day. We, you know, have stretches, we have dance Sometimes we have uh, dance breaks, like like a, a sixty second flash mob style, you know, just to keep things. And this is in a law firm, so if a law firm can do it, any any industry can do it. And I can tell you now, it doesn't make us any less competent. We are humans after all. So the third element is to have fun. And I, I promise you, if you incorporate those three elements in your work, no matter what it is, then you will have fulfillment, and you'll automatically tick the charity box because you're making a contribution. That's why your work should be your contribution because now you're blending two areas and you're boosting your life force. And a contribution, don't forget, if you're an entrepreneur listening right now as well, if you employ people, your contribution isn't just to your uh, customers, it's to your staff. So um, if someone has just started new, sit next to them and say, do you need a hand with uh, using the software? If someone's going through a hard time, just sitting and listening to someone is making a contribution. That's why you called it out early, Logan, where you said it's not just about giving money. In fact, giving money is easy. You know, giving money is something that wealthy people do to feel better about themselves sometimes. But you know what? The, the true wealth comes uh, also from going out and giving your time, giving your energy. You know, if you see someone in the, the street, uh, it reminds me of something my son Chris did many years ago. I, I gave my son Chris, you know, my book when it first came out, but he didn't read it for many years. But then uh, him and his partner, who is now his wife, went overseas to a trip and he, he started reading the book and he would text me when he was overseas because some of the things resonated with him. And he got up to the, the tree of charity and he sent me a message and he uh, he was in Rome at the time and he was just taken aback by the number of homeless people in the streets. And so it was a hot day and he went out and bought all these water bottles and bananas. And he went around giving, you know, just bananas and bottles of water to these homeless people, which I thought is just, that's just beautiful. That's, you know, the impact you make on people isn't just, you know, the money you give them. Uh, it's how you make them feel. You know, if you make a person feel valued, that's better than giving them, you know, a lot of money. These days, you know, charities, honestly, they cashed up. There's no shortage of money out there for a lot of people. That's not what's missing. What's missing at the moment is humanity. It's love. It's compassion. It's being able to kneel next to a homeless person 
and overcome your fear and overcome, you know, your, your uh, fear of saying, oh, they might smell or look bad and actually putting your hand on their shoulder and say, what do you need today? I saw someone do it, you know, a few months ago before uh, COVID-19 and, uh, and then they went and bought them food and, <laughs> and brought it back to them. Uh, I, I thought, you know, there's a lot of beautiful people doing beautiful things every day, you know. We never get quite hear about it. Yeah, I paid forward a couple of people's lunch at the cafe one day um, and then I seen um, a few people like comment on Facebook and say thanks to whoever bought me lunch at the cafe today and geez, it felt good. I love that. That's awesome. And how, yeah, how did it felt good? What you were saying is it boosted your life force. That's why we shouldn't be afraid to say that we actually feel good. Giving isn't just about making the other person feel good. It does boost your own life force and it's a necessary human element. So there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I felt good after it because it's meant to. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And um, just give us um, someone's listening, they've never journaled before. Where do you start? Well, my, my lens is always the eight areas of life. That's my what. Um, so if you're new to journaling, the eight areas of life as we've called them out, and if you forget what they are, just go to ahigherbranch.com and you'll see on the homepage there the, uh, the diagram. And so when you first get a journal, make it just a blank journal. I mean, we, we also have a high branch journal that we sell on our website. And look, we break even with this stuff, so I'm not raising it to make money out of it, but it's a particular journaling uh, technique. Yeah, I've got one. Yeah, and so how I use that is if you've got one, Logan, you'll notice the left page is for your head and the right page is for your heart. The left page is uh, basically forward thinking. So I write in the left page in the morning and I write in the right page at the end of the day. And that's how I bookend my day with journaling in the morning and journaling at night. And uh, it's one of the three rituals that I have every morning and every night. The other two rituals Number one is movement, and then second is meditation. And it can be five minutes or 20 minutes or 50 minutes of each. But I usually do 20 minutes of movement, 20 minutes of uh, meditation. And then when I come out of the meditation, then my mind is in that order. It has to be in that order because it's hard to meditate when your cortisol levels have just spiked after you've woken up. You need to, you know, you need to neutralize that cortisol with movement and then your mind settles and then you can meditate. And then out of meditation, there's a particular visualization meditation that I use that uh, you would have seen Tom Sullivan deliver at Upgrade Your Life. So it's emotional visualization of what your day is going to look like in the eight areas. So once I do that meditation and then I go to journaling, that's my third 20 minutes. So all up, it's 60 minutes, 20, 20, 20. So the morning journaling is okay. In each of the eight areas, what am I going to focus on? What are my goals and my dreams for each of the eight areas? And I literally write down what do I want to achieve in each one of the eight areas and I follow it up then uh, step two with an action. What am I going to do? So, you know, I mentioned a few things uh, earlier in the Tree of Love. So in my journal this morning, I wrote that I'm going to give my wife a massage, you know, before she goes to bed. You know, she was horse riding yesterday. and was complaining of a sore back. I thought that's that's my time with her. That's um, you know that's climbing the tree of love, right? And so if you go through each one of those eight areas, I I pulled my journals just over there on the table. Uh, I have something for each one of those areas. Now most people will have a journal and it's all about work, 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 work. 
to-do. It's a to-do list. This isn't a to-do list. It, it's, you have action items. It's a to-do list for each one of the eight areas, but it's not running errands and uh, you know, paying bills. You should have a separate diary for that. That's, that's what a diary is for. But you know, managing a life, designing a great life, it has to be in a journal, not in a diary. It's a totally different thing. So in the morning, it's what are your goals and dreams for each one of those areas? And step two is what are the action items for each one? And you've got to do it. And it can be just something, you know, small, like in the tree of family, uh, for example, one of my action items today is I got someone in the office to design a poster for my daughter. And on the poster, it has polar opposite uh, a, a picture. So it's like a vision board, a picture of a person who eats unhealthy and what the food looks like, what they look like, them sitting and flopping in front of a TV eating pizza and them on, you know, social media at night when they should be having all the lights off if they respect their sleep and their circadian rhythm. And then on the other side, I have a picture of a, you know, uh, a young lady who looks healthy, who's showing pictures of meditation, showing pictures of blueberries, of salads and and that's my action item for today because I want to give that to my daughter. So that's me climbing the tree of family. Now, sure, for the tree of work, I'm at work today and I have action items, but I don't work too hard. And I know my priorities. I work effectively, but I don't work too hard because I mentioned those three things earlier. You know, when you're in a state of flow, you can get things done a lot quicker. And whenever I feel like I'm compromising parts of my life because I have to work too hard, I go back to my default. And that is, what is your wealth, Sam? Well, if your wealth is health, it's family, it's love, then that's where you spend your time, right? And if you've only got limited energy. Anyway, I digress about that. But so with journaling, it's, um, that's how you start the day. Now, at the end of the day, I bookend my day with another 20, 20, 20. 20 uh, minutes of movement, 20 minutes of uh, meditation, and 20 minutes of uh, journaling. Now, my movement when I get home after work, uh, you know, in the last three, four hours, is very different to my morning. And I'm not saying this is what everyone should do. If you're listening, work out what you need to do with your own PT because they know you, you know, they know how you operate. But for me, I tend to do uh, my body weight exercises at night. So I tend to, in the morning, it's more cardio because that's what suits me. And, you know, between... 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. is when I'll actually do weights. And, you know, I don't do weights like an hour before I go to sleep, but, you know, that's, that's when I do it at, at night. So it's 20 minutes and I'll do 20 minutes of meditation. And the meditation is not emotional visualization like I do in the morning because emotional visualization pumps you up. You just want to get out and do it. So at night it's more relaxation focused on the breath, you know, uh, dismissing thoughts as thoughts, dismissing feelings as feelings, returning to the breath until you can feel your blood pressure and your heart rate drop. And so that's uh, the meditation. Then the last 20 minutes of journaling is I look back at the eight areas of life for the day and I say, what have I done in each one? Did I do what I had to do? And then I ask myself, did anything happen in those eight areas that is affecting me emotionally? And that's why I do this after meditation because meditation brings things out that are bothering you. And it could be the smallest of things. It could be someone that, you know, cut in front of you whilst ordering their coffee and you feel rejected because, 
the person behind the counter chose them instead of you for whatever reason, right? There's these little, little things that bother us and we don't really, you know, register them. Or when we do, we think, oh, that shouldn't bother me, but it is. Or, or, or um, you know, something drastic happens at work. You lost a client or you went to the gym and you got injured uh, and you hurt your back and you feel like, oh, you know, you go into a state of fear and you say, oh, should I turn up tomorrow? Am I injured or should I work out? Anything, this is what I call a reflection. So the journaling at the end of the day is reflection. So how I do that and how you should do that is ask yourself two questions. Number one is what happened in the day that I need to accept that I'm resisting or blaming? What is it? And you'll be surprised if you ask yourself that question. All you need to do is write it down and say how you felt. You don't have to resolve it because it is what it is. Your feelings are your feelings. But you need to feel to heal, right? I'm not saying you do this and suddenly the feeling will go, but it'll go a lot quicker when you sit back and say, what am I resisting? Who am I blaming, right? Why am I, why am I feeling? You acknowledge it and say, oh, okay. You know, this person said this to me and it hurt my feelings. And you write that down. Um, the second question is, what am I grateful for today? And when I say, what am I grateful for? It's not the usual stuff that you're thinking. It's also the achievements you've had for the day. A lot of us live in an era where we are so hard on ourselves. We feel like we should be climbing mountains, running marathons, building great businesses. And if we don't do those things, we feel inadequate and we hold ourselves to a high standard because 30 40 years ago there was not, not much hero worship but now it's all over social media oh this person's just climbed this mountain or run this marathon why and i why am i doing those things right but when you sit back and at the end of the day and write down the things you're grateful for in each of the eight areas and if you've lived life in the eight areas for that day then you'll say like for me at the end of the day it's like uh, I mentioned family and the fact that I'm creating this poster for my daughter. One of my gratitude will be, I'm so grateful. I have someone in the office who, you know, did that for me. You know, uh, I, I'm so grateful that we have computers now that you can do that. You can turn it around so quickly and so cheaply. You imagine doing that 40 years ago. So gratitude is closely linked to achievement. So also list what you've achieved. So when you know, you look back and in those eight areas, you say, I did this, 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 and this. And hey, that's an achievement, right? Today, I sat down with Logan and recorded a podcast, right? That's an achievement. That'll go in my diary at the end of the day. It's important for everyone listening to list everything, no matter how small you think it is, whether you paid it forward in the line, you know, where you bought coffees or lunch, that's an achievement. That's just a human achievement because that's an achievement in the area of charity. Don't think of achievement only at work. That's a huge trap, right? And you, you will always, you'll always be unhappy. You know, you'll, you'll be following the two imposters. You know, I call, I call them out as the two imposters. If you recall them, Logan, you know, in, I think it was chapter 15. Um, where the two imposters are, you know, taking what you have for granted and always focusing on what you don't have. People do those things, focusing on what they don't have, thinking that's what will bring them happiness. Oh, no, I'm just being ambitious. I'm climbing to the next level. You know, it, it's not. <laughs> You're just robbing yourself of the, 
happiness you should feel for your achievements for the day and the people that you have in your life. And, um, you know, recently, uh, one person I'm having on my podcast, and his name is uh, Luke Curry, who uh, owns a, um, a business called KC uh, Sports Cairo. And, you know, a year ago, I got this hip injury and it stopped me from running. And it's been an uphill battle since. And um, I've seen so many therapists and did so many, took so many supplements and did so many things. And he was, he finally got me back on track and I'm actually seeing progress. And this afternoon I'm seeing him and we're actually going to be, I'm going to be running for the first time in a year. Right. And, you know, he reminded me of something that I wrote in my own book. And he said to me, because every time we did something, you know, I'd get, I'd re-injure it slightly and I'd go backwards and then I'd feel sorry for myself, you know, you know, for, for a little bit till I talked myself out of it using, you know, the higher branch framework. Um, but he said to me, Sam, you just did, you know, don't think about the, um, don't think about how you felt from doing your 11th uh, squat. He said, what, you just did 10 squats with this particular weight. Thank your body for that. Put that as an achievement, you know, and the moment your mind shifts from that of gratitude, focusing on what you should be grateful for and the achievements that you make, then you go back into this state of flow that I'm talking about, I was talking about earlier, where your energy lifts and everything just seems to flow nicely. You know, have you ever, have you ever come across people who just work so hard, but they're always hitting a brick wall? <laughs> And like I've, I've had some friends over the years that work much harder than myself. And I think and I feel sorry for them because they just keep hitting a brick wall. Their business doesn't quite make it. Their relationships don't quite turn out. Why? Why is that? And for others, you'll see them and you think, geez, things just go nicely for them. No, it's not luck. It's these people put themselves in a position where they are in a state of flow. And believe me when I say that people that do that, they live a holistic life. If it's not in the eight areas, some of them get quite close. Like they, they might nail five of them really well. And they live consciously through journaling. And um, just life becomes effortless for them. It just things flow easily. Even when they get injuries, even when they get rejections, even when they lose clients, they seem to just uh, overcome it really quickly and move on. And the beautiful formula for that is simply, you know, surrender to the outcome, know how to practice acceptance and live with gratitude for what you do, your achievements, and for what you have. So not just for what you have, right? What you do as well. That's really important. Yeah, 100%. Mate, we'll start to wrap it up. I know you've got a meeting in less than 10 minutes. What, what motivates you to bring, you know, some of the best in the world to Australia? I, I feel compelled. Um, you know, I, I come from always from a place of love. Uh, for me, a higher branch is a place for friendship. I wanted to build a community because over the last 10, 20, 30 years, the common thing that I, I keep hearing from people, in fact, I heard it last night from uh, a, a new friend I made uh, last night. It was in a pharmacy, actually. <laughs> I went to get something from the pharmacy and I made this new friend and his wife was with him. And after 10, 15 minutes of talking, his wife said to him, you see, there are people like you out there that exist. And I said, what do you mean? She said, and he said, I, I have trouble finding friends because they're always, you know, uh, we have different commonalities. And so I kicked off a higher branch because I saw a lot of people like yourself, Logan, like myself, like the person I met last night, who, you know, 
really value life education. And they're the sort of people that'll sit and watch, you know, a video on, you know, movement or exercises or how to work out this way or how to eat healthy than watching, you know, just a meaningless show on television for entertainment. So I kicked off a higher branch and I simply, I wanted to honor the people who, you know, who believe in a higher branch and believe in the community of friendship with quality content. And I simply just wrote to all the authors that I have read. And, you know, a lot of the authors will, you know, a lot of them will respond. Hey, you would be surprised. You know, I wrote to David Goggins and right from the heart, you know, it's not, hey, dude, you know, I want to. <laughs> and if they don't respond, you know, it's okay because it could be that they're busy or they're injured or they're hurt, whatever it could be. But I wrote to, you know, Jim Quick. I wrote to David Goggins and they all responded and they said, uh, yeah, happy to have a Zoom call like we're having now. And, uh, and we clicked and there was, you know, there's commonality there. And I, so my lens is I think my community will love these people and that's why I invited them. Now, I also Skyped and Zoomed with a lot of other speakers. Let me tell you, you saw 10 on stage, but I probably interviewed, I don't know, about 50, 60 people. And because I want people that are authentic, I want people who will mingle amongst the community, you know, who will, you know, you would have noticed they sat in a the crowd, they most of the time, you know, and they listened to everyone else, they, they shared the meal with us. And uh, so there was a lot of people that I didn't bring on because they just said, yeah, this, I'm a speaker, this is my speaking fee, I want to show up, you know, do my thing and leave. And, you know, if I got that vibe from them that they weren't coming from a place of love, then it just wasn't for our community. Uh, so it was, I hope that explains it. That's how, that's how I got those people because they're authentic. You know, David Goggins, you know, he's calloused his mind, but you would have noticed he hasn't calloused his heart, mate. He, he loves people. hundred percent. I just got three questions. I just want to fire at you. Just answer nice and quick. Best piece of advice you've ever been given? Um, by my father five years ago, just, uh, three days before he died. And he said, spend less work less, live more. Love it. Yeah. Where do you want to be in five years? Uh, honestly, the same place I am now. I love my life now as I did, you know, when I first discovered, uh, when I first developed the higher branch framework. Uh, every day is the best day of my life. How good. <laughs> favorite quote? Ah, oh, favorite quote. Okay, it's one that I, it's my go-to quote a lot for, my, you know, myself, my partner, my kids, my friends, my work colleagues. And uh, it's one, I think, by an author called Robin Sharma. Many years ago, uh, I think it was 2006, when I read his book and came across his work, and he just says, do your best and let life do the rest. And for people who are um, religious, I just say, do your best and let God do the rest. And there's something liberating about that because you can't control everything. All, the only thing you can control is what you do. And then you just got to surrender to the outcome and say, you know, whatever happens, I know the universe of God has my back. So I try and control the outcome. It's, uh, surrender is a beautiful thing. If you've ever surfed, you got to surrender to the wave's energy and go with it. And if you do that in life, uh, I think that is the best piece of advice really you can get. Yeah, 100%. Mate, I really appreciate you jumping on.
Thank you for tuning in. Now, if you want to stay up to date with all things a higher branch and with the latest information from our incredible faculty of members and contributors, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you'd like to watch things, then head on over to our YouTube channel by the same name, a higher branch, and subscribe to that also. And if you want to go onto our mail list where you will receive even more special premieres and some really special offerings, head on over over to ahigherbranch.com and sign up to our mail list where you will receive a free copy of my ebook Guide to Greatness but you will also be on the mail list to be the first to receive a copy of my next book The Circle of Conscious Living which is due out later this year anyway thank you again for listening and I hope to be with you next time